Hey, it's Andy. Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's a good one. You're really going to like it. And you know, if you like good things, you should also check out the movie Deep Dive podcast that Mike Pusateri and I did on The Right Stuff. Now, what are you two pud knockers going to have, huh? And we are going to break down the 1983 classic, The Right Stuff. And now you're all like, that's great. You morons picked a movie that's... <laughs> 37 years old. The movie, it was just so stylized in such a unique way that I had never seen, I can never recall seeing a film like that, really, was how unique it was in their presentation of it and the filming, and that really drew me to that movie, and I think it still makes it really rewatchable. I've probably seen it 10 to 15 times and would watch it again this week. Hey, Ridley, you got any demons? Yeah, I think I got a stick. Love it, son. I'll pay you back later. Fair enough. It's available now on the Pointless Exercise podcast feed wherever podcasts are sold for free. Or why don't you fix your little problems and light this candle? at Lambeau Field, both teams used our lockers. And we come back up after warm-up, there's a knock on the equipment door, and Hallis is standing in the doorway. And Coach Lombardi says, yes, Coach, can I help you? And he said, Vince, I just want to tell you one thing. You better have your team ready, because we're going to kick your ass. And Vince is left there flabbergasted. What the hell did he say that for? And he admitted to me, he said, you know, later on, it hit me. He got me thinking about that statement. I wasn't thinking about the game. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue, and it's very exciting because it's it's Packer Week again, and beyond all common sense, it means something. The Bears, If the Bears win, they go to the playoffs. If the Packers win, they get home field throughout the NFC. So there will be two highly motivated teams, uh, one a little bit better than the other. But still, it's why they play the games. Incentives all around. So with me, as always, is uh, Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Andy, doing well. Didn't think the last time we spoke uh, about the Packers, or at least after the last time the Bears played them, that would be in this situation, like you said, very unlikely, but here we are, uh, beats the alternative. And we don't really have to focus too much on the events on Sunday anyway, because that's not our shtick, but, you know. No, if you want to hear about that, Mike Pusateri and I beat that to death uh, in podcast one yesterday, one of two. (laughs) So your feed is clogged with pointless exercise, but... You're probably not working this week. You can just, you know, lay on the couch and listen to me you're for like, four and a half you're hours. You're like the, uh, the Jerry Lewis of, of, uh, yeah, of, of podcasts. Right, I do feel like it. Uh, Labor Day weekend. For this one, my the tuxedo tie is hanging off. I'm half drunk and <laughs> bloated from the, what was that? What steroid? The prednisone? Is that what he was on? I remember oh, when Jerry's geez, head I, was like the width of the podium there for one year and then he came back the next year and it was back to normal i just it, it was, I, I just associate it with like a rare 
you know, if the Cubs would be like on the road and playing like in Bush Stadium, but it was Labor Day, so it was a day game, and then they would cut to Jerry Lewis, who that was really my first, um, you know, exposure to him. So I think for a lot of us, you know, Jerry Lewis was like this celebrated guy that raised a lot of money for, you know, um, various, you know, troubled, not, no, physically disadvantaged. <laughs> I'm like careful. Yeah, it was a, here. Was it? <laughs> So it, it kind of took a while for my brain to reconfigure that, oh, this guy was like this really hilarious comedian 30 years ago. And and then, of course, you'd watch some of his work and your brain would have to rework. Wait, how is he a hilarious comedian? Um, I don't want to denigrate it. I haven't really watched much of Jerry Lewis's career. So maybe I'm out over my skis. But yeah, I mean, I think the guy uh, who misses other than the kids. Other than the kids who we'd get money, <laughs> the other the uh, Jerry's other unofficial kid, of course, uh, comedian Tom Dreesen, who would get three minutes of national TV exposure every Labor Day. He's got to really miss Jerry, I would think. I did not expect a Tom Dreesen <laughs> reference. I I want you to know I am here for it. Was Never this, get tired of. I can't remember if it was the podcast, but I was telling somebody that, given my affinity. For one of the things I l- I really have always liked to do, even when I was a kid, is an older guy who has stories is always fun to like sit and listen to. So I know for a fact, like if Tom Dreesen, if in I person. ran into Tom Dreesen at a bar, mm-hmm. he would entertain the shit out of me for like an hour and a half. Right, and then, and then at the ninety-first minute, I'd be like, "All right, Tom, this we're done. That's that's enough of that." But he that was great. You did that was a great. That was a great. That was great. That was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. It you know it's it's, it's just the but fact that they it. still the Cubs still well, actually well we didn't have to last year because of the COVID I'm sure they didn't right. have to zoom or, in for a game but every time he shows up at the park they the Cubs drag him into the TV booth like any of us have any idea we only know him from that that's us and we're in our forties like like and, and we, so he was hardly relevant to us right like yeah all right we we could point what out did, Frank Sinatra what year did Dean Frank Martin? Sinatra die because all time has. 98? Yeah, 98. He's been dead for 22 years. Right. But that's all time. That's a long has, time. Is Sinatra yeah. stories. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and, and Martin's been dead even longer. Um, that's quite a thing, actually. I mean, you know, I know he's more of an itinerant rat packer, if anything. He's not even really a rat packer. No, like, he was. On those two yeah, guys. He was, was, rat, he was rat pack adjacent. That was weird. <laughs> right, but still around to tell those stories, and somehow they're well. If, I mean, they're all kind of the. If, if Peter Lawford was too drunk to answer the hotel room door, then three phone calls later they got Dreesen, and he got to go out. That's right. That yeah, Lawford is kind of like the bottom <laughs> of the totem pole of guys that I would consider like first team Rat Packers, right. and even he was. He had to marry fringe. one of the. He had to marry one of the Kennedy girls, right? Kennedys, to, yeah, to solidify yeah, a, his spot in the Rat Pack. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. He had to charm one of the, uh, yeah, one of oh, and they're Kenny Bunkport. Yeah. And they're a good-looking bunch, too. Oof. Who's that, the Lawfords? No, the Kennedy girls. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I don't know. I stopped paying attention. Yeah, they were. They all looked the same, and it wasn't good. Um, anyway, enough about the town and the Kennedys. So, yes, right. it's, uh, Bears and Packers uh, for the second time this year. Could be the second time of three if things break right or wrong for the Bears. Wouldn't be the first time. In fact, there there are almost some parallels to the other time that they faced each other uh, three times in a season, namely that that there was a chance for that to be averted entirely in the final week. 
Yes. Uh, but we won't, we don't, we'll probably want to dwell on that because it's painful. But I guess when do we stop? When do we shy away from exploring painful uh, no, memories? Never. But never. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> today, today, I rewatched not whole games, just the, you can always find the highlight pages. I rewatched yeah, the, uh, the 2011, January 2011 NFC Championship game, <sighs> which is just, just terrible. My favorite yep. part of it, though, I should link, I should put the highlights in the, on the Discipio uh, post with the podcast. That's the uh, NFL Network guys doing the highlights. And so you get, it's Rich Eisen, Dion, Mooch, and Michael Irvin. Okay. And Cutler, they, they, they try to find the play where Cutler gets hurt. They show him on the bike. They show him come back out to give him credit and try to play with it, and he's, he can't do it. Mm-hmm. Then they show all four Todd Collins incomplete passes. <laughs> at which during the middle of it you hear Dion go this dude is scared to death wow. and then after the fourth incompletion Rich Eisen goes and the Bears decided that uh, that wasn't going to work and so they put the emergency quarterback Caleb Hanian which meant Collins and, never... Collins and Cutler could not no longer return which with Cutler it's kind of so that's funny when you go to the emergency quarterback because Cutler obviously they, they had gotten word from the medical staff that he in spite of the fact that he was on his bicycle and that made everyone frothing at the mouth he was done and so basically you're telling Todd Collins that your career is over if you're yes. going to the the third street quarterback and, and I know we did talk about this game in that situation and I'm still angry about um, how Lovey wasted the time and even going to Collins because his only other appearance that season was another game we've discussed not only this year, but last year with Kyle is his epic four interception performance against Carolina earlier in that season. And that was the only other time he played. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And if the, um, if the reason for it was, well, if we, if we go right to Caleb, then if he gets hurt, we're out, we don't have a quarterback. Well, then then that's a good why point. wasn't, why was, if, if you were afraid of that, why wasn't Collins, the yep. third quarterback. College would actually be a true emergency quarterback. Yeah, because it's like, holy equal shit, that situation. We, we only want to use him literally in an emergency. And that's like, I think, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but now that I'm considering this, I'm thinking, well, you know what you had in Collins. Um, and, and, you know, I know if, if you found yourself in that situation, I think, um, it would make more sense to have Collins as the third stringer because, you know, you might as well throw the kid out there if it doesn't work. All right, break glass. Here comes Collins. To do it the other way, it just didn't make sense. But I'll be honest, I hadn't considered the fact that Haney, you're right, was the third stringer, which prevents you from playing the other two. But it also emphasizes that uh, that was perfectly fine. Yeah, it means, it, were, it means it was ridiculous that they that they didn't just make Haney the second quarterback and Collins the third. So I know I know you're clicking the you're gonna link the video, but I'm just curious how awful because it's been ten years now. How awful! Uh, and I was at that game, and I just remember being mad about Collins. But I want to know how awful the each interception actually. How, how awful were those passes? Oh, the incompletions! They were all yes. they were all late passes over the middle, and all of them, all four. You can watch this. All thrown like he was like. He was turtling, like, oh, my God, I'm going to get hit, and just blindly throwing the ball in the middle of the field. After the first (sighs) one, Lovey should have been like, all right, nope, nope, that's not going to work. Because then Haney comes in and moves the ball far better than Cutler was even moving it. Like, Uh Caleb Bears legitimately, the offense all of a sudden went, because they're down 14 to nothing when he comes in. Yeah, and so what else do you have to lose? He comes in, and they go right down the field and score a touchdown. 
It's fourteen on to his seven. first drive. Yes, brings him at least. Well, I, it, it seemed that way on Maybe. the highlights. Like Caleb right, right, comes right. in and it's just pass, 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 pass. Come down, yep, yep, there's yep. a touchdown. They show highlights, right? They get um. Somebody goes out of bounds at the gets tackled at the one, and they Chester Taylor scores the first touchdown. Handoff to Chester Taylor, which Dion says Bears got to make that man a bigger part of the offense next year. <laughs> like no, Jesus, you're an idiot. No. Um, his second touchdown pass was to Earl Bennett. Is that right? Yes. And yes. the we, we safety, the safety for the Packers, just takes this terrible route. Earl catches the pass, turns around, and he's like at the twenty, and there's nobody, and he just like runs into the end zone. And one of the guys goes to the defense, "Where are you going?" Actually, the highlights <laughs> are actually pretty entertaining, except for the way that it ends. Um, right on the BJ Raji uh, interception. So it's it's fourteen to seven after the Chester Taylor touchdown. Packers get the Bears. Packers punt back and forth a couple of times. Uh, Packers pin the Bears deep. Caleb drops back to pass. Terrible pass. The Raji had hit. They, he was playing nose guard, but they had dropped him into coverage in the middle of the field. Caleb throws okay. it right to him. Raji, as he's running in, Raji played fullback earlier in the game. Had a block on a touchdown run. Okay. Um, Raji has the ball, holds it in one hand, like the old proverbial loaf of bread. Uh, and we got a lot. Yes. And Haney almost knocks it out of uh-huh. his hand at the one yard line. Why couldn't he have? He, think about what a legend he would have been if he had somehow done that. And then and then the Bears have the ball at the end of the game. And they get to the 30. And they're legitimately throwing. I Caleb is Caleb is legitimately throwing passes. Moving them down the field. That could have tied the game and, and sent them to the Super Bowl. In which then the Bears would have played the Steelers in the Super Bowl with Caleb Haney playing quarterback. Which, oh, my God. Yeah. Move, move over. I wouldn't even say Trent Dilfer because he won. We could try to maybe mine through to find the worst starting quarterback. And I will not cotton to anyone saying Rex. There have been worse. But uh, Kaylee, uh, Kaylee, Caleb Haney would have taken the cake. Unless somehow they won. <laughs> I just made myself laugh suggesting that. Yeah. But they were that close from that happening. Right? So they got within... The 30, and then he got picked off, right, uh, for the second time? Yes. Caleb, good old, good I believe old that, I believe Col- right. Colorado State's finest. Lance Briggs had an incredible interception in that game. Far through a pass, low to Donald Driver. Driver bent down to try to catch not it. Far, it. Not far, not far. Or uh, Rodgers. No, yeah, Rodgers. It hits, it, it's low. It hits Driver in the foot. Bounces just barely in front of him, and Briggs runs over and just snatches it away from him. Wow. When it happens in real time, it looks like it's just an incomplete pass. Except it was a great play. So Wow. Yeah, who knew? yeah I don't remember that. See, it's funny. Um, and I've mentioned it before. Sometimes if they're more recent, I don't have oh, I don't quite this specific. Either. And I was there. I remember Erlacher's interception, sorry to bring up, which I only remember for painful reasons because uh, he had a path to yes. pick up 50, oh, and 60 yards or more and until Rodgers tackled him. And Rodgers didn't really tackle him. Rodgers kind of Roger kind of slides in front of him, and as uh-huh. Erlacher tries to go, tries to like kind of j- jump around him, Erlacher loses his balance, falls down. I mean, he got he Rodgers touched him. Otherwise, he could have just got up and run. But yes. it's not like well, it's, it's a, I mean, that's shame. Shame on Erlacher for, you know, letting that in. Erlacher was at the end of his career, to be honest with you, and Rodgers. Because then I, I think Rogers it was 14 and nothing when that happened. So that would have been – it looked like the Packers were going to go up 21 nothing and put the game away. 
So the interception okay. is huge just because it stopped the touchdown. But then it could he could have made it. It looked like he was going to make it 14-7. to seven. Yeah, I think it was the first drive of the second half or first drive. For on, the, either the, on the Bears' last possession, they ended up with a third and two. And they ran a jet sweep to, God, was it Rasheed Davis? I don't think it was Rasheed Davis. I, think it was, I don't know, but I think it was I'm, enjoying, I'm enjoying the Matt Nagy foreshadowing. Yes. It was very much the Cole Komet uh, tight end well, that end was, around. That was something. Else. That was a tight end end around. Oh, I've never seen that. Jared Nagy said, oh, it works every time in practice. Yeah, of course it did. That's great. Um, <laughs> he actually said that. And, and Brian Crozer pointed out, it was not first and goal at the one. It was first and goal at the half yard line because on first and goal, the Jags they had jumped off sides. Off sides. Yeah, yeah. Some, somehow, yeah, Mitch managed to to um, to draw an off sides when he really didn't need to. You know, I, I mean, how about try doing that when it's third and three at midfield? So there was the uh, um, we did, they didn't have the play. My, my brother was playing high school football. He played with the same coach I did. They had this play they called the Chinese puzzle because <laughs> you know that's, that's not a uh, <laughs> problematic alert. Yes, you'd have to rename it now anyway. But it was for like um, it was it was for short one. It was for you know anything and one, and it was it's completely illegal. What do you mean? Anything but one? Anything like plus first, one? Third one, fourth and one. Whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Makes sense. The way the play works is the center snaps the ball but doesn't let go of it. The quarterback just has his hands there. Center does that and then just pulls the ball back up and falls forward for a yard. Acting is that like legal? It, acting like it was a fumble. No, because that's oh. technically a forward handoff, which is a pass to an yes. ineligible receiver, the center. Okay. Yep. Now there is a way yep. you could make it legal if you lined all the other linemen up and had the center on the end. You could okay, do that. Like, and that wouldn't indicate that you're right. up to something. That would right. That would Oh, we also had a play called the jock strap, which was simply a everybody sold a sweep to usually the <laughs> left. Like everybody, the lineman went that way, the running back uh-huh. went that way, the fullback went like he was going to block. The whole line and the goes quarterback up. simply faked it, turned around, and the tight end on the right on the right side just uh-huh. ran into the end zone. And it, it was a two point conversion pass that never ever failed. It worked never failed. every okay. single time. So the Bears should have. Why, if you're going to run a weird play, why didn't the Bears run the Chinese puzzle? Well, no, Sam Mustafer like, just you know acts like he recovered a fumble, and there it is, touchdown. It's first down. He can, the, he can he can he can recover a ball in the end zone on first down for a touchdown. But that's not the play that was successful for your high school coach. You you described two plays, right? Oh, the Chinese the puzzle. One, Chinese puzzle worked. Oh, that's so Chinese but it, puzzle. Is but not it had a ref the had the ref net. been savvy, it's a penalty. It's an illegal so, forward. So Chinese action. Chinese puzzle is the fake snap from the center? Yeah, center snaps the ball, doesn't let go of it, falls forward for a yard. Right. Or a lot of times, so, if they don't have anybody over the center, center runs for a while. Right, but, but the whole belief in that play is predicated on a sleight of hand and uh, getting away with breaking a rule. Yes. In fact, the guards and the quarterback are instructed to act like it's a fumble. Right. Like the quarterback okay. like scrambles, you know, like, oh, shit, I lost the ball and whatever, and then the center has it, and he's like... But, it's it's but high school football. We're, we're probably averaging like eight yards a carry anyway. Just hand the ball to the running back. It's, I know. It's going to work. But, but, but this other play where everyone sweeps left except for the right tight yeah, end who's jo- wide the, open. The jacks. You're saw. saying that you, you say that never actually worked? No, it never failed. 
Both those plays, so both both those plays were, were in the playbook because they always worked. They always worked. Yep. Even though one was illegal, so it re- relied on a little bit of faith that yes. the officials would be flummoxed. Yeah, the jackstrap. Was, right. and the jackstrap was so good that after you'd played teams over the years, they knew it was coming. Yep. They even some of them even knew what it was called. You'd hear them yelling, which is why you jackstrap. And which is why you because it looks so much like it. Like because if it's, you're at the oh yeah, no, I get you're it. at the two. They can't afford to be to the goal. Well, they're not really running left. It's right. a, so the, everybody goes that way. But you reference, uh, you know, I'm assuming that's why you reference your brother having played for the coach because that's probably when it was successful. But when you came around, no, we didn't they, run the Chinese puzzle, but we ran the jackstrap and it worked. And I gave actually, it up. And I actually caught a two point conversion on. A, on Look a at you! Yes. Check out Jay Saldi in the house. Yep. The only touchdown I ever scored. Caught a caught a nice little. I ran a, a, a kind of a quick post uh, at Pearl at Pearl City, caught it, <clears throat> touchdown. Very All excited. Right. Look down, flag on the field. Ah. I get back to the huddle and I'm I'm just mfing everybody in the huddle. It was on you. So our tackle on that's I was the tight end on the right side. Our tackle leans back and asks the ref who was who lined up offsides, and he goes the um, the end on the right side, which yeah. would have been, been me. Yeah. There, I thought yeah. that was hilarious. We watched the film. I wasn't offsides. The tackle was. I was split out, and they. So the tackle. I was. I. I was besmirched. Yeah, tell it to the judge. Take your story walking, Dolan. Thirty. They still think that was over. funny. The only touchdown I ever scored got called back by yes. because of Nullified. my own penalty. But that's that not was, true. That was. That was technically on you, but really shouldn't have been. Yeah, it was bullshit. I got. Yeah, I can, I'll dig up the tape. Yeah, they were out to get you. It's got to be somebody. So, uh, something else weird happened. Oh, so they run that, they, they run like an end around to Earl and he doesn't get the first down and then they have to throw a pass. I think it was just an incompletion on fourth down. No, I think it was picked. Okay. okay. I think Haney, it was desperation. I think Haney got picked, but, um, they would have had a first down and Dion, of course, says on the highlights, if you're going to run that play, you got to give that to Hester. It's not wrong, but you know it's no. he loves Devin Hester, and so even then he was still advocating. He did so it's you know good for Dion. He never felt threatened by Hester, which is cool. I appreciate the camaraderie. Well, probably when he started are... to like Devin, he had no idea he, Devin was going to break all of his, you know. Yeah, because he befriended Devin way before Devin was famous, yeah, right? The, like by the, coincidence, I think at the U. Even though, even Dion's though Dion went to Florida State, yeah. well. All I remember, uh, do you, do you remember, just to go off on a tangent because it's what we do, do you remember any Deion Sanders games against the Bears? Because I remember one that will always jump out to me, which I'll be happy to regale our listeners with. Yeah, I don't know. You're going to have to. You're going to have to. Uh, 1990, I was a freshman at Northern. Bears played the Falcons. And Bears cornerback, who I'm sure you remember, Lemuel Stinson. Oh, yes. Which, as I used to tell everybody, his name was French for the mule. <laughs> Goal number 32. He and he went to Florida. I think he went to Florida State, too. But I don't think they were teammates or I don't know what it was. But Lemuel, the week heading up to that. And who, Lemuel Stinson is a nobody, really. Uh, he was a decent corner for a couple of years. And this is probably when he was really feeling good. He comes out of the gate just fucking talking smack. Uh, about Dion going into the game. And, you know, Dion, of course, was barking back and stuff, like kind of like, who the hell is Lemuel Stinson? And Stinson got two interceptions. I think, I don't know if Stinson made any prediction, but he uh, he had a nice game. And, and, of course, I don't know why Stinson would have been talking smack to Dion. They're not playing opposite each other. They're both cornerbacks. 
Um, but he was just talking him up anyway. But Stinson ended up having two intercepts, probably the best game of his career. So he backed up the trash talk. So I'll always remember Lemonhead fondly. But that's the only – and Dion didn't do anything in the game. No thanks to Lemuel because, again, he didn't, you know, square off against them. But that's my only uh, memory of Dion uh, encountering the Bears. Yeah, I'd I probably – I mean, you're right. He bounced the. I mean, Falcons were like the big team, but then he became a sort of a a mercenary, right? Yeah, he, went to the, he went to the Niners, right? And then he went free agent to their arch rival at the time, the Cowboys. 94, 95, but he was not on those Dallas teams of 91, 92, 93. And then he, did he ever go back to Atlanta? He finished with the Redskins. I remember that. Yeah, that's what I mean. He really was a little bit of a, yeah, he bounced around. And is he a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, yeah, he was boy. a tremendous cover man. I wouldn't say he's that great of a football player and that he wasn't really involved in too many tackles, but, you know, well, whatever. He, Being a cornerback is one of the toughest things to do on a fucking football field. At, so in his, and I, I hesitate to use the word with him because it's his word. And in his prime, he literally took half the field away. Yeah, so no, people no were doubt. deathly afraid. Because Dion, and not because if Dion, if he threw to him, Dion would intercept the pass and he would score. Right. He was incredible. It was like the, the Devin ball. Hester of, of yeah. Of so you were, you were doubly fucked if he picked off a pass. Not only did you lose possession, you're very likely that you just gave up points. Yeah. He, yeah. He was, yeah. He was a well, pain, number one, you lose possession. He was a number pain two, in you the flip ass, the field. But he was, yep. a, he was a great player. Yeah. And it's obviously nitpicky. Doesn't his part. bust have a, isn't he wearing a do-rag in his bust? Is he? Are you making that up? I think that's the thing. <laughs> awesome. Um, like I said, I'm just being nitpicky. Oh no, he he put one on the bust. I see. Oh when, yeah, I when see he got when he got hand. handed it. Yeah, okay. It is his regular hair. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think the austere the best the best bust is Ed Reed's. That thing is amazing. I Why? Know, I don't know who did the hair for it. Just Google Ed Reed's Hall of Fame bust. It's, right now. <laughs> it's, it's quite a thing. Man, they really teased that shit. And isn't it that the Walter Payton one doesn't look like him? Isn't that the terrible one? Um, Could be. But I doubt Payton would be the only one, but probably the most noteworthy. Mm. Uh, let's see. Ed Reed, that is a slick damn bust. Uh, Peyton's just not looking. No, that's not him. <laughs> it looks like poor Walter. Oh, it's maybe it's Eddie. Yeah. Maybe Eddie it went could to be Eddie. Eddie it went to be. the you know sat for it instead. Right. That's the that's the uh, uh, that's the bus that Eddie was awarded every year in addition to the one carry he would get for whatever team he was playing for. Um, I can't. It looks like Paul Winfield. I don't know if you remember the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the African American character actor Paul Winfield, but there's a bit of that. There certainly doesn't look like Walter Payton. Yeah, wow. I'm sorry I had to look that up. It makes me sad for uh, for sweetness. The Erlacher <laughs> one has hair on it, so I wonder if that's what he took to... You think when he went to Restore, he just brought the bust in? <laughs> is, there, yeah. is there a Restore logo? I mean, it's barely uh, there, the but you can tell that it, you, can, you can see the hairline on the forehead, so he's got hair on the bust, and he's like, alright, God, I just want to look like this again. He just puts it down. He's, yeah, I don't know what the deal is with restore. Is this like some scientific thing? Is that like real here? Is it really restoring or is it just know. a really I, I get I feel like it's toupee. I feel like it's like chia pet. They because just, like Ur- they just Ur- smear Ur- that Ur- shit on your head and then little little sprouts pop okay. up. 
And then you, so, you wash your hair and it all ends up in the drain. I don't. Because, so was Erlacher like me, a guy that was going prematurely bald at 20 and just shaved his head and then regretted it? I Like, I never understood it except for the maybe the barrel, you know, the, the, you know, the wheel know. barrel. He, he has cash that people must have ridden up to him because it was, that, that his brand. Yeah, he just did it for money. Yeah, he got here for money. He didn't give a shit. Because yeah. his head, he has an excellent looking head it, that's his brand right. man so he when he big even when he had hair he had it cut so short he barely had hair so I it really wasn't he was that shaved. he wasn't even that noticeable when he started shaving his head because you weren't it's I, not I, like you ever saw him with like real he, he, i don't think even when he was a rookie i don't think he ever had hair he could comb it was just he constantly buzzed it and it was just i don't barely remember there. having even i don't even remember now he's got now he's actually got a comb the whatever the the two i was staple into his head this is the second right. day in a row I've talked Restore on the podcast. I know. I know. Well, at least we're not talking about Samber because we're talking about Maybe the Maybe they'll be a sponsor. I, but I was at a Cubs game in 2000 on a, on a Sunday frustrating game in which they lost the Marlins, but Erlacher had been drafted like five days earlier. It was a rare game where we just happened to have really good seats with some bodies close to home plate. And we kind of, Erlacher sort of walked by us because they, you know, they introduced them sort of, and we threw, threw out the first pitch. So, I mean, this is verifiable. It would have been the Sunday after he was dra- – a week after he was drafted, Cubs piss away a game against the Marlins. Um, Did the Farms come out the- and try to tackle him? Right. Did, no, I just remember, yeah, it was – if we want to go down that path, uh, it was the point where I realized that Mark Grace was done. And it turned out he wasn't because he had a death rattle of a year in the following seasons. But uh, they had a tie game in the bottom of the ninth base, you know, run around third with less than two outs, and Grace managed to strike out, which is very unmarked, yes. uh, unmarked Grace-like to not put the ball in play. And I'm like, oh, I think he's done. Uh, and he kind of was, but he came back a year later. But my point is, when we were sitting there near home, we were sort of by one of the aisles that led to the field, and we saw Erlacher up close, and we realized how fucking huge he was. But my memory is the guy was bald as a baby's ass then. Um, I mean, you seem to remember that he actually – I, I guess had hair, but I always thought he was, he'd shave that thing and, and never had hair. That was his brand. That's why I was always confused. Not always. It makes sense. Like you said, it's, it's, um, it's an endorsement deal, but he kind of threw away his brand just to put some hair on his head. And he so, also let Aaron Rodgers fucking let him trip him up. NFC title game. So in his career, Mark Grace played 2,245 games, 9,200 uh, played appearances. He struck out 642 times. Yeah, hardly ever, right? He was a great contact. He walked 1,075 times. He struck out 642 times. And yeah. in that year when you declared he was done, in 143 games, he struck out a career low 28 times. I don't care. I was on to something. He, he struck was, in a clutch situation. In his last year with the Cubs, he was 280, 394, 429. Well, a 429 is not he, really cutting it at first base. But, no, but he wasn't as bad as I remember. I, I hadn't even looked that up. Actually, he had actually, a Actually, he only, walked, he only struck out 15 times in 2003, but he also only played in 66 games. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay, um, looking at that, looking at his line, he didn't fall off a cliff. He kind of did, though. He had a batting average. The, it was biggest, the, first time the biggest problem with them letting him go is that they didn't replace him. You don't like 16-inch softball player Matt, Matt Stairs, Stairs and then subsequent uh, subsequent reluctant Cub Fred Matt McGriff. Stairs, the Kyle Schwarber of his era. Oh, I don't know. Stairs was a – think about it, though. What Stairs with the Phillies, the year, I think it was the year they won the World Series. Oakland. Oh, later, after. Yeah, he oh, hit 
Uh, he he hit five or six huge home runs in the playoffs. He 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 had an epic one that basically clinched. So you know, Schwarber had the two great playoff appearances back to back, including the miracle World Series reemergence. And then they were both fun but flawed short guys. I guess so many moments though. Pittsburgh, Budweiser scoreboard in fifteen, and yeah. then the series in, in well, sixteen. Well, I think if you're a Philly fan, you love. Matt Stairs, just like Cub fans yeah. love Kyle Schwarber. And I got I got nothing against Matt Stairs. Um I didn't either. He just shouldn't have been the full time first baseman. Right. And they ended up he couldn't he ended up couldn't do it anyway. Well So yeah, you know they got so you know who they, they went out and got that year then. Right. The first Everybody's bad favorite. offensive Cubs first baseman of our lifetime, which until then I didn't realize that, you know, because We've talked about that before, and we probably should save this for when we talk about yeah. the Cubs. But uh, we've been well, blessed. I want to do. I want to do a whole hour on Fred McGriff. We're gonna have to have oh, Fork. We're, we'll have we're to gonna have, have to come have on. I just let one. him bitch about Fred McGriff <laughs> because on the blog one time I, I can dig this up. I actually went and his numbers in two thousand one are good with the Cubs. I know because that's but classic. You can McGriff. literally draw a line if you go if you do the game log. You can draw yep. a line when they fall out of contention. Labor and day. he we goes apeshit yeah. after yeah. that. All uh-huh. of his stats come in the last two weeks Dude. when none of those games meant anything to make it look like he hit, like he was productive when they traded for him. And, and O2 is no different, even though they, they were out of it from the gate. Yeah, they were out he of it. Alu, he, he and Alou were terrible, and he was really terrible, but he ended up with respectable numbers. To me, that, that only just sort of encapsulates his was career. 2002, was that the year that Moises hurt his calf? On by, opening by, day, standing, standing in the outfield, and, had to get, and, got, and he got scratched. Yeah. That's how out of shape he was. That was his first um, game with the Cubs. I, he got I scratched. Can, <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee you that Moises never got so much of an earful from the home crowd as he did from me the subsequent June of that year when the Cubs and Sox played. And, I, and you can we have witnesses, people that you know. One of them would be Oleg, first row left field. And I rode him because the Cubs were already out of it by June. And they had won 88 games a year before. And so, you know, we're optimistic going in. Here comes Alou, and he's so out of shape that he he, he gets injured, you know, like standing in the outfield uh, during batting practice on opening day. And then comes back. And so we had to get we, – we had to get – we were subjected to Roosevelt Brown for three weeks and, and Malou comes back and he's terrible. And he got such an earful for five innings. I, I swear this is true. The following year, two, two years later, um, I went to eat at Fogo de Chao with my boss and we had like a late lunch, like one thirty, two o'clock, you know, Brazilian steakhouse in river North. And it was kind of empty because it was a late lunch and I'm walking out and a Lou was coming in and the Cubs were playing at home that night. And uh, I'm like, Hey Moises. Yeah. Good luck tonight. Right. That's it. Uh, you know, he threw his cars at the valet and I go back to the office and like two hours later, I got the radio on and George Offman breaks in pregame. Moises Alou unprompted just started blasting Cubs fans for criticizing Corey Patterson, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, do you think he, he somehow heard my voice as he was walking into Fogo de Char and it triggered that time that asshole Cubs fans spent five innings just berating him for stealing money and, um, being, uh, you know, un, un, you know, out of shape and, and carried and ruined his lunch. And he came to the clubhouse and blasted him. Um, that was an epic digression. I apologize, but, uh, you know, the, 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 it struck me. So, but all of it's true as far as what I experienced. So another game I rewatched to get ready for uh Packer week was, uh, the Mark Trussman, um, uh, 
Mike McCarthy matchup. Final week of the 2013 season. Winner goes. Winner wins the North. Uh, with uh, terrible yep. records, either the Bears would have been nine and seven had they won. The Packers did win and were eight, seven, and one. Um, wow! Game, so the Packers actually won that division by a half game. They won by half or, a game over the Bears. Yes, um, happen that often in football. But that was um, that was if they if the Bears had hung on to win the division, uh, it would have been uh, all because of Shane McClellan, because uh, he broke. Aaron Rodgers' collarbone, mm-hmm. and the reason the Packers struggled so bad was it was because Aaron Rodgers was not playing for a you large part of that season. Besmirch Seneca Wallace now, I hope. No, of course not. I wouldn't want to do that. Um, that game is completely infuriating when you rewatch. I only watch the extended highlights. It's like 15 minutes long, but you get you get everything, and you get. <sighs> Joe Buck, the, Joe Buck calls actual... every pass play the same way. Rodgers caught by Cutler, caught intercepted by I guess for Jay. No, but caught by. And so when all when when they're just cutting it down to the actual plays and that's all you hear, it drives you insane. It's like, yes, we get it, Joe. Mix it up a little. Um, but the thing yeah. that sticks out when you rewatch it is the Bears beat the shit out of the Packers that day. They they clearly outplayed them. And but the stats don't really show it because Rodgers threw for 318 yards and Jay only threw okay. for 226 and the the Packers actually ran for more yards. But the reason that it's so infuriating is the the final score was 33 to 28. The Bears legitimately gave the Packers three touchdowns that they should not have scored. Uh, the most the most obvious one was um, in the second quarter. Rodgers goes back to pass, gets hit, the ball squirts out. His arm goes forward, so it looks like an incomplete pass. Um, was it James Anderson? Is that who the middle linebacker was for the Bears? Um, oh, gosh. The ball is kind of just rolling in the grass in front of him. He runs over, and with two hands, he kind of disgustedly shovels it forward. Like, ah, crap. And, thinking it was an incomplete pass. Yeah, thinking it was an incomplete pass. And to his credit, Joe is yelling... They haven't blown it dead. That's a fumble. Somebody should pick that up. And the ball is literally just laying on the grass. And um, somebody, Boykin, for the Packers, I guess I could look that up. The be- the Packer bench is screaming at him to pick the ball up, and he like picks it up like, what? And then he, he literally walks into the end zone, and the refs signal touchdown. <sighs> yeah, that, infuriating, that one is... infuriating almost undersells that. Yeah. And a fucking title game? Well, no, this was. Um, I'm sorry, week third. I'm it was sorry. A, well, it's t- I, I, kind of. It was I know the you're, you're talking about North. week seventeen. Yeah, it's a, well, North it's an elimin- it's an elimination game. Yes. My Jarrett, bad. Twenty thirteen, not twenty ten. Yes. Yeah, so Jarrett Boykin, with three twenty eight to go in the second quarter, fifteen yard offensive fumble return made the score ten seven Green Bay. Offensive fumble return. Yes, offensive so fumble was, return. If it, it had only been in the last two minutes of the half, he wouldn't have been allowed to do that. Thanks to no, Ken that, Stabler and, and that, the Chiefs or the um, yeah Baker Mayfield, right? And that happens in the game. Um, Jay on a, a four, Jay on a fourth down goes back to pass, has the ball knocked away. Forte picks it up and is going to run for like fifteen yards, but the play is blown dead because only Jay could recover the fumble and advance it. 
because it was in the last two minutes of the half, right? Or or just at any point, maybe. I because it's funny that we're talking about in this, this instance. Weird I think it was both anomaly of a play because it happened uh, in the Baker. We we caught the end of the Jets Browns game right mm-hmm. after the Bears the satisfying Bears game. We had to wait through another AFC game that and I can't remember which one it was, but we finally, you know, they, they put on the Browns and Jets and that's when Mayfield on fourth down yeah, tried, tried to, to sneak it yep. and the ball popped out and in, in um, hunt advanced it. But I, I thought they had mentioned and they, and they evoked whoever the color guy was, they evoked the Holy roller itself, which like the Chester Markle return is, was, was featured in the Alcoa. Can't wait. Uh, fantastic finishes. For I believe and I could be wrong. I believe that on fourth down, it doesn't matter. What? How much time is left? You can't. The only the fumbler can advance the fumble. Okay. But in the last two minutes, it doesn't have to be fourth down. The ball just, gets, the ball the, just goes back. It's to keep. But this, if it's like, okay, I think because if it's like if it's like five minutes in the first quarter and uh, and it happens, then yeah, you can you can return it forward. I, yeah. I can't think of any examples. You where, could run where the it's Chinese. Happened. You could run the Chinese puzzle. <laughs> I call Baker and tell him, all right, if you know, I know the Steelers aren't playing the starters, but if you get in that spot this week, just have the center keep it and just and just lean forward for a few yards and pretend like it's a fumble. Cameras won't pick that up. There's just too many bodies. It'll be you'll be fine. That felt that, that felt Bears like watching that, and I know Mayfield still might be promising, but I just when I was watching that play, I was kind of just shaking my head. Like Baker Mayfield is Rex. Okay, he's Rex Grossman, and that the Rex got to a Super Bowl. Yeah, no, yeah. And Baker yeah, may go to one, but I even yeah, in yeah. even at Oklahoma, he reminded me of Rex because Rex was an awesome college football player. You and know, the what? reason the Bears uh, picked him when they picked him, but he's Baker's biggest problem is what Rex's was. He's it seems ridiculous to say because Kyler Murray is tiny, but Kyler can Kyler is so ridiculously fast that he just he gets to yeah, spots where he can see, and Rex and Baker aren't that athletic they don't, well, and there's a lot of passes where they literally can't see things because they're yeah. just too goddamn small yeah okay they both have good arms rex had rex had a, rex rex had had a, great a very arm. good arm he, and yeah, baker has a good arm but yeah, there is a limiting yeah. factor there's a reason that they like these big tall quarterbacks and they do it does come in handy once in a while by the way i had had the uh i found the um you know the condensed game that um of the game in 2010 that we we're just talking about earlier. And, but just because you referenced it now and yeah, color fumbles that ball on the first play after the two minute warning in the first half. And you're right. Forte, like looks like he may have had yeah. an ability. Okay, So that was because it was under dash. two minutes. Yep. That's okay. So we got that yep. uh, confirmed. They blowed it dead. Wow. And that would have been the, one of the 2013 games. Another, another, you know, so Chris Conti, it will be forever remembered for, and it's it, 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 how he fucked up is in dispute, but that he fucked up is indisputable. So okay, it's, it's so Explain. it's fourth and eight with seconds to go. I don't know, it's a little under a minute, I think. It's all the Bears. The last play the all game. the Bears have to do: stop the Packers from getting a first down. You get to you get to dump the Gatorade bucket on Mark Trestman, knock his hat off, and we get to see his hair. It's going to be great. <laughs> And they need to stop them because you, the final is 33-28. So, really, Green Bay can settle for a field goal to go ahead, right? Or no? Because then the score would have been like 28-26 uh, before it so happened. If they go for two and not make it, that would be. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe so. So, they had to go. Because they had to have gone for a touch. They had. 
They could not have settled for a field goal. I, they could I know have. You're they could have won 30-28 with a field goal. Okay. All but right. they were all not right. in field goal range. so that was... Which is still crazy that Rodgers freaking launched the ball on fourth down for midfield. To well, me, except for the did. fact that when you it's watch the replay, Randall Cobb <laughs> is alone. And he's like... So what happens Let's is... Let's just hope the ball can land in time. I, I think for the longest time, we were always told that they, they were in man and Conti thought they were in zone. And so he just... He didn't. He didn't go. But it's very clear in the replay that's not what happened. Conti stops. Conti drops just behind the first down marker and stops. Like, all right, I'm not going to let anybody get. They're going to catch the ball in front of me, and I'm not going to let them get a first down. The problem is, Randall Cobb is running past him, and he has stopped. And he turns around, and he has no chance. I think. I think the guy who got closest to him was uh, Daniel Manning, who was playing corner that year instead of safety. And okay. he's, just, he's just scrambling from another – he was covering somebody else, and he's like, fuck, i got to get there. But nobody gets close. It's a, it's a, it's a gift touchdown. <laughs> wow. But Conti, earlier in the game, he, he intercepts uh, Rodgers in the first quarter. Rodgers throws it right to him in the end zone, but he catches it. Um, later in maybe the second quarter, he has a diving I – th- I believe it's a third down, and – he dives in front of a Packer wide receiver, and the ball goes right through his hands. I mean, it, it's, it was amazing that he didn't somehow knock it down. He Deflected. literally just went right through his hands. Packers right. catch it. They score like two plays later. That's <laughs> like a, he somehow managed to form a perfect O. Yes. He basically was framing did. it for the receiver. Right. Here it comes. Right. Look at this. This will be easier to we're, catch. It's we're, just we're focus not even on the most- this. We're not. We're not. We're like even the most minimal contact would have maybe created enough friction to, you know, throw off the timing. But no, you couldn't even be bothered to get a finger on the ball. You got that close and yet still managed to not touch it. But it is funny how your memory like plays tricks on you. So what I remembered was in my mind when I think of that game. Well, there's a few things I think of. Number one, I think of, I was living in Michigan at the time and was so infuriated by. Uh, Actually, I was just so like <laughs> keyed up because it was Bears, Packers, and I hate the Packers so much uh-huh. that Troy so and much Joe, Tro- Troy and Joe, were bothering me so much. I didn't want to just mute the game, so I I hit the SAP thing and I I watched the game with it in with the announcers in Spanish because I didn't care what they were saying. I just wanted to hear the crowd and the whistle and stuff. So I watched that game in in Spanish. Um. The other thing I remember about it was um, – I don't remember what I remember. What was the other thing I remember about it? Um, so I watched it in Spanish. And Okay. You know, I cu- I'm going to admit that I cut out for a second. I'm assuming what, what your frustration was that, you, of course, you hate Jeff Joniak, but it was that being in uh, northern Michigan that you couldn't uh, oh, I would, listen I don't, to I don't, I don't know that I would have turned Joniak on. Right, I don't think I would. I think you it would have been. It so, would have been the Spanish. It would have been the Spanish announcement. The, the fact that you're considering the SAP broadcast. <laughs> yes. Um. God damn it! I can't think of what it was. I managed to distract myself with the, this. Is a good podcast. The other point in the 2013 game. What was the other thing that I hated about it? I'm trying to picture it because I had just pictured it in my mind. Ah, fuck! I can't think of it. It'll come back to me later. Anyway, so they blew that game. Um, then I also rewatched the last time the Bears actually beat the Packers, which was uh, the second time, second time Matt Nagy ever faced them. Yes. Um, the uh, Bears with a win would win the North. 
The Packers were 5-7-1 and one, and just clinging to the illusion of playoff contention. And so after, when they eventually lost the game, they um, uh, they sat Rodgers down for the rest of the season. He was playing with the bad right. knee that he got in the Bear game when he miraculously came was, uh So far, this is a much happier memory, by the way. Yes. <laughs> um, so they've already they've already shit can Chef Boyardee. Uh, they're about to send Rodgers home, right? You know, we we I I was at this game. I just remember needing to savor it because of uh, the previous two games and a few others that we've t- discussed. So it was a game where uh, Khalil Mack had two sacks of Rodgers, including one, which is kind of iconic, where he basically gets a sack by just I don't know if it's David Bakhtari, but whoever the left tackle was, Khalil just takes him and just rams him back into the collapses, the pocket with the tackle. And at the last minute spins around and literally sacks Rogers with his ass. <laughs> he's not facing Rogers, but he knows he's back there. And he just kind of reaches behind his back and falls down and falls right on him for sack. So he had two sacks. Leonard Floyd had two sacks in the game. In fact, I think we, we may have talked about this. Leonard like had really good games against the Packers. It was like the one team that he always showed up against. Huh? Maybe they could borrow him for the weekend. I guess the Rams probably need him, but still, they could just borrow him. Yeah. Um, and then the game, for all intents and purposes, ends on. Oh, I can tell you this. Yes, on a uh, tipped interception in the end zone. Yep. Um. By Eddie Jackson, who should have just stayed right in the end zone. It didn't make any sense to bring it out. He brings it out. He gets to about the 10, decides, oh, I should just go down. It's cleat sticks in the grass, hurts his knee, misses this the playoff is the next game week. against the Right. Eagles. It's not on the field for Nick Foles' game-winning drive yes. in the playoffs. Um, I will. I, I just want to add, uh, for context, the uh, going into that interception, Rodgers had had some really uh, inordinate streak of uh, consecutive passes without an interception. And I remember as at the game and uh, as with, you know, sitting with a couple of buddies and I remember just like with anticipation, cause I'm like, part of the reason you keep a streak like that alive, it, obviously it requires tremendous precision. You have to be a great quarterback. You know, I mean, there's world-class athletes all over the field and you're managing to thread a needle and uh, you know, and make your completions. But Rogers basically got forced into a position where he couldn't throw the ball away because that's one way to keep the streak alive. You know, really uh, you can, you know, and it's, 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 it's prudent to, you know, not throw interceptions. Um, and, but in this situation, the Packers, you know, the whole season was on the line. It was third down. He's in his own end zone. I just remember like turning to my body. It's like, it's this streak is going to end right now. He just, there was just too much. So it was very, very, very satisfying to actually witness that. Uh, because it not only ended Rogers' streak, it clinched the division for the Bears, and uh, it yeah it, it eliminated the Packers. Right, you're saying the Packers were still technically yes. alive. Right, once once the game was over, and it was they were basically but, eliminated anyway. It was one of those things. Where I know like, they weren't going like to six yeah, teams I mean, needed to lose. They needed a plane crash or two. And it this was not Week happen. 17. I mean, they, it was probably inevitable. Um, but I, but the bittersweet point you bring up, though, of course, the irony or whatever is um, the fact that on that play is when their star uh, D-back gets hurt and doesn't play in the playoff. He didn't play, right? Eddie was out. He was out. In fact, he missed 
so he he would have missed the last two games plus the playoffs because this is week. Well, it wasn't the last game. That's no. right. Yeah, they had three weeks. I'm sure they told us, oh, he'll be fine for the playoffs, and then he wasn't. The Bears clinched the division. That was, I think, it was the penultimate week that season. Uh, but the, I'm assuming the, their last game was insignificant because they, no matter what, they were not going to. Um, or they're locked in. I think right. They had to play the wild card weekend, so they were not one of the top two teams. Um, yeah, I forget the, the. I remember. I always remember there was a loss that year that I always thought I can't believe. Oh, it was the. Um, was it the Dolphins? They lost. Oh, I was thinking of the Giants. The overtime loss to the Giants. The one where. Um, That's right. So, the one where they had so much faith in their quarterback yeah. that they had Tariq Cohen right. throw the game. Chase had come in to fill in for Mitch. Uh, against the Lions on Thanksgiving and played well. And we thought, okay, well, we can survive this. And yet yep. he was so shaky in, at the end of the game that they ran the Philly special and had Tariq Cohen throw it because um, they 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 want to keep the ball away from Chase and Trey Burton refused to throw it. He had thrown it yeah. for a touchdown in the Super Bowl the year before. It was a little insight into the fact that Trey, maybe yep. not the most mentally tough guy. Ever. Yep, fair enough. I mean, really. Um the the thing you realize when um when you watch the 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 quick cut of the game is how important Tariq Cohen was. He was um how many passes did he catch? Because um, he was like the outlet for Mitch on everything. Yeah, he only ran five times twenty four yards, but he caught five passes for thirty one yards and a touchdown. He also had remember um we got all over Allen Robinson for uh stepping out of bounds a yard short. Yeah, against, against the, Detroit. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Tariq did it in this game in the late in the fourth. Well, not late, but kind of medium late in the fourth quarter. He catches the ball in the flat, and he's all alone. His momentum, Mitch's throw, to admittedly, took him to the sidelines when it shouldn't have. But right. Tariq clearly just stepped out of bounds, and he looks down at where, and he sees the marker, and goes, "Oh shit!" The Bears. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to see if I can actually find it in the play-by-play here. Yes. So it's um, da, 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 da. he. Okay. So the Packers had punted, and Cohen himself had returned the punt 44 yards to the Packer 15. Okay. So now the Bears are in great shape. They're gonna uh, they're gonna score, and I don't know why it doesn't put the fucking score on the play-by-play when when they score that doesn't make any yeah, sense like they do for baseball reference yeah so let's see so it would have been it was 21 17 so it looks like the bears were going to go up 28 17 basically put the game away. I, I know it's still just two scores but whatever um, right on third and six colin catches the pass for five yards and that's the one he steps out of bounds with nobody around him a yard short which then sets up a 24 yard um Cody Parkey field goal. The Cody, to his credit, actually made. He made it. Yes, he made it. He didn't hit the upright. Atta boy. Um, but yeah, when you watch the game, little Tariq is all over that game with his punt returns and catches passes, and um, that is a guy that they um, miss. They do miss. That's a guy. Yeah, because uh, when your backup quarterback is your wide receiver, kick returner. Sorry, I know they had another guy last week and they scored a touchdown. But, yeah, it would be nice if they had Cohen. I don't know who got into Nagy that day. The Bears ran 29 times for 100 yards. Well, 
Christ, you'd think you might point to that. Oh, oh, no, I expect out. Yeah, they're just going to throw. Oh, the other guy who had, uh, Adam Shaheen had two big catches in the game, two for 39, and they both were important. It's like, holy they crap. They were? Really? They were. Trey Burton, the aforementioned Bur- Trey Burton, right? touchdown pass. That we've actually caught the eventual game winner. Well, we're so important about Adam, Adam Shaheen's. I'm, I'm more, I'm more intrigued by the notion that Adam Shaheen actually had an important catch. Were they, they were third downs, or they were just big plays, like key, right. key parts of of scoring drives. Because you watch the condensed games. All right, all right, I'll take your word for it. Yep. Even though I was there, I blocked it out. Don't believe it. But you know, he went to the Dolphins and is actually a useful player. I know he's been having a good year. You know, between him and Leonard Floyd, you start to wonder, well, you know, I know that Ryan Pace has hit on some guys like in the later rounds, like Eddie Jackson and, uh, you know, and whatnot. But well, you see a couple guys that he actually may have scouted as good players and then they couldn't develop. That's the old double, you know, the whole just illustrates the two sides to player development. There's Drafting and then there's the de- development. Yeah, and right. Somebody, and you know. somebody's got to coach him. Yeah. Right. So yeah. It's got to fall on the coaching staff, too. You can't blame Pace necessarily if Leonard Floyd failed to launch. Although Floyd had a really good year. Um, was it in that playoff season? Yes. Because that was when, you know, he kind of well, finally arrived, but that was his third season. I, I mean, he it's, was injured. It's not, the first it's, two seasons. it's really not surprising that because one of Vic's, actually, an old bear assistant is the defensive coordinator now for the Rams. Okay. Because people were always down on Leonard because yes, he wasn't getting team. sacks, but Vic right. would always say he's a really important part of this defense. He's a really productive player for us. Yep. When Vic left and then they Pagano, whatever, wasn't playing yep. Floyd the same way. It all of a sudden was like, okay, he's not getting to the quarterback. He, he's not helping us. So then the Rams pick him up for cheap and they put him back in the Fangio system and he's been very he's yeah. been really good for the Rams. Well so yeah my, my recollection of Leonard Floyd era was the yeah, first round pick, first two you know first year he was injured, but then even when he was healthy, he didn't really do much. But that third year it felt like and that was when Roquan was a rookie, I want to say. This twenty eighteen, like this game that we're talking about where they beat the Packers and, and win the division. Uh Floyd stepped it up that season. I remember like, wow, now it's coming together, right? We we Mac comes on board and uh Smith is uh is is an impact player immediately, which he was. And Floyd, you know, he was like, um, it's kind of like how I felt about Otis Wilson. Like Otis was a first round pick that didn't quite get going for a couple of years, and all of a sudden it was like Floyd was kind of a beast for the Bears in twenty eighteen, and you're right. Um, but he wasn't the first two years, which were also under Fangio. But you're right. When Fangio left, Floyd dropped off last year. Yeah. Under, well, under I, mean, I remember Vic would actually get like, of course, everything irritates Vic. That's why people like Vic. He would get irritated at reporters' questions about Leonard. Basically, say, okay. basically saying without saying, you don't know what you're looking at. Like, okay, there's a reason we play him the way we do. So basically okay. knock it off. Yeah. And then if you want to get into the whole sliding doors thing, if Parkey makes the field goal, Fangio's still the defensive coordinator for the Bears. Because why? Because John Elway was hell-bent on hiring a coach the first after that first week of the playoffs. And they had a interview tentatively scheduled with Vic that Vic was going to cancel if the Bears were getting ready for the next round. Uh, okay. And instead, he was available, and he went down there, and John liked him and hired him. And then, that assumes that he's going to And he's going to fire him next year. Well, there are not Vic – had been Vic had interviewed for lots of jobs, and – he was basically resigned. I think that he wasn't going to get one. But the teams were going. Def- 
Elway, El, somebody had told Elway that you're going to like Vic, and he did. Um, he but to actually, hire well, no, actually, it's, it's more complicated than that because um, Elway wanted Gary Kubiak to be the offensive coordinator, and Vic didn't care who the offensive coordinator was. All the other guys he was going to interview were young offensive coaches who were like, "Well, fuck it, I'm going to be the offensive coordinator." And so apparently Elway was like hesitant to talk to Vic, but somebody in the organization said, "Talk to Vic, you'll like him." And when he asked him about Kubiak, Vic said, "I don't give a shit. That's fine." And then the the thing was, Kubiak tentatively took the job and then turned it down. He never was the offensive coordinator for the for the Broncos. He had quit as the coach because his brain was exploding, and uh, didn't want the stress of it. But he was quit as the coach of the Texans or the Broncos. Or the Broncos. Years. You know, they well, won the Super just... Bowl with him. And then the reason John or um, he he took over for John Fox. And then he That's had right. he Fox had some kind of episode on the. He had some kind of episode on the field, I think. Oh my God, I'd forgotten about that. I remember and that so now. he retired. Okay. But then John was, you know, they had he'd, he'd been always backup when he That's was, right. When they were players and they were I friends. Yep, and yep, yep. He, John's like, "Why don't you just come be the offensive coordinator?" And Gary said, "All right, I'll think about it." And then he said, "I can't do it." So instead, he went to Minnesota to be the like offensive, like the quality control coach. coach basically just oh, be like Jesus. a guru and sit in the booth and and help mike zimmer out and then, zimmer, strenuous and, job. and then zimmer fired the offensive coordinator they'd hired john d filippo who is currently the uh coaches for the bears that's right and now kubiak's their offensive coordinator okay is, is kubiak's brain scramble is that what is this why he keeps zigzagging all the time yeah. like it seems kind of peculiar no, i forget what me. it was he had like a stress he had like a stress induced it basically had the I mean, symptoms feel, of a stroke, but it wasn't I feel a stroke. bad for him. Okay, and so he basically his his family they sat down and said you shouldn't be a head coach. There's too much stress. He's like, ah, you're right. Okay, but then he got bored, you know, not doing it. And, and then, Elway was and trying then, to sell him on take a take a less stressful position. Elway really he really wanted to help him out if he was greasing the you know, greasing the runway for him to be an offensive coordinator while trying to hire a head coach because that could be problematic. I mean, in Vic's case, he didn't care. No, Vic didn't but care. other coaches might. Other coaches could feel threatened in spite of the circumstances. Yeah. Um. And then and the, but then Kubiak turns it down anyway because maybe because the family's like you know offensive coordinators you know especially with Vic Fangio as your coach it's going to be a pretty big workload you're going to you know who knows and then and then so he goes down another step lower like, you know what uh, you're gonna you're gonna come uh, where did you say that he went then to he's, um, he's in Minnesota, Minnesota. Coach, coach and, you know, so he's probably like oh you're gonna be like a consultant all you have to do is pick up the phone when it rings and and answer you know they get to pick your brain but but even then he ends up uh, getting lured back into like a real job you know not that a quality control coach isn't a real job but an offensive coordinator is you know. I mean, basically, was going to get he was going to have like the Brad Childress Bears job, and Brad, ironically, Brad kept quitting that job with the Bears. I, I'm sorry, Brad Childress is with the Bears. Did I miss that? He was. He was on Nagy's at least his first staff, and then I. Th- okay. Yeah. Well, that. Well, that's right, because that was when the Bears had like nine quarterback coaches. Well, they still right? do. They're just different. <laughs> it's part of the reason Mitch is useless. Is he? He he's always <laughs> had six different guys telling him six different things uh. all the time. Well, they all think he's dumb, and they might not be wrong, but I don't think the solution is for everyone to shout things in his face. Like, I remember thinking last year there was a point where Trubisky comes down, and this this is a problem with Nagy, too. 
um, not maybe being uh, succinct enough or, or whatever. But Mitch is like on the sidelines. He has to go back to the huddle. And then Nagy's like just yelling stuff at him, right? Like it doesn't even sound like it's coherent or, uh, you know, like it's really going to put his quarterback at ease. And then I remember like watching the TV and Mitch starts to like skip back to the huddle. And then Nagy's like yelling, no, 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 I got more stuff for to fill your head with. And I just remember thinking that's those are bad optics. You know, you got a a quarterback with maybe some questionable gray matter, and then a coach who just can't quite convey uh, to anybody exactly what he needs. Uh, you know, in, in, in the in the short amount of time that he has, seems like a recipe for disaster. Okay, so here's what happened to Kubiak. Uh, the year after they won the Super Bowl, he they were uh, it was week five against the Falcons. Kubiak was not feeling well before the game. Okay, and this is uh, so that's 2016 because they, they won the Super Bowl in 2015, I think. Peyton Manning's last game, uh, I believe that's correct. Yes, so we're in 2016. Okay, um, but so at, he's not feeling well during the game, and they took him to the hospital after the after the game, and um, because he was having flu-like symptoms and extreme body fatigue. Hey, maybe he had COVID. He might have been the first person to ever have. He's patient zero. Um. Let's see. He was diagnosed with a complex migraine. That's why I thought that his head exploded. Uh, He was forced. The doctors told him he couldn't coach the next week, kind of like Ditka. Uh, But Ditka ended up coaching, right? Did Ditka Ditka actually miss a game with a heart attack? Yeah, Ditka had a heart attack in 88. Yeah, and I think Vince Tobin only coached one game in 88 when uh, Ditka had a heart attack. So, yeah, the coach came back in just two weeks. So this was this it says here was the second time in three years Kubiak had had a health scare in the middle of the season. He actually coached the next season, but at the end of the season, they missed the playoffs. At the end of the season, he told the team he was stepping down due to health issues. Okay. And, um, so he coached in 17. So he took 18 off completely. And then he was going to come back to be, um, Oh, here we go. Right. They, I should probably read this stuff before the podcast. So he took two years off. It's all good. And he was going to come back to be uh, the offensive coordinator. However, the Broncos, um, this is shocking. Um, So Vic gets the job, and then a few days after Vic gets the job, the Broncos announced that due to disagreements with newly appointed head coach Vic Fangio on the team's potential offensive philosophy and staffing, Kubiak would would not be coming as office coordinator. Elway offered him what? a job. Elway offered him a job in the personnel department, but he Kubiak turned it down and instead uh, took a job as assistant head coach and offensive advisor for the Minnesota Vikings. And oh, in 2020, okay. he took he um, so DeFilippo is is loses the uh, play calling coordinator. Yep. They instead then they give it to Kevin Stefanski, who ends up parlaying that into the head coaching job with the Browns. Right. And so then Kubiak takes over as um, offensive coordinator but, for this. But season. he went to Minnesota as, did, he, did you say an ass, uh, assistant head coach? Yeah, but that's always a bullshit title. Um, okay. I don't even I know just, who the assistant head coach is for the, the, the important thing is it's, it's usually assistant head coach and something else. And the end something else is what your real job is. Assistant, <laughs> they give you the assistant head coach title because they're going to pay you more than what they would normally pay sure. the person in whatever your real job is. And so human resources requires. Right. So yeah. he, they weren't going to pay the offensive advisor what they were going to pay Kubiak. So he gets the assistant head coach title. Got it. Got and it. And he's the offensive advisor. That makes sense. However, he still ends up being elevated into a highly visible yeah. role. See, I have a, I have a friend who was a college football coach and he had his, his defensive coordinator was this great guy who'd been the defensive coordinator forever. Everybody loved him, but that he was not, 
up to being a defensive coordinator anymore. And so the guy asked me, he's like, I don't want to fire him. What do I do? And I said, promote him. He's like, what? I said, promote him. He said, I, I said, what would you like him to coach? I said, I'd like him to coach special teams. I said, make him assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. Look at you. And he did. And the guy thought he was all like flattered. So uh-huh. problem solved. Wow. Yeah. Just sort of convince him to yeah. sort of lead him. See, I really think I should be, teams should hire me to be like just an advisor for this kind of stuff because that was the same coach who I questioned we talked about this podcast right about how when you go into the victory formation you take like a wide yep. receiver and drop him back I'm like no 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 make it put a defensive back there somebody who's used yep. to tackling and that's and yep. they and that team did that until that coach got fired you you're i'm just going to call you andy Acorsi uh henceforth yeah i mean give me a bad hair piece and give cut me a check and i'll give you some advice it'll be great i'd really Sounds like to good. sit down with man Nagy and go over the whole how you use your timeouts because he doesn't know what the fuck it's is. still, you know, so they did it ever since you mentioned it a while ago. Uh, I mentioned this on Sunday. I was watching the game with my brothers and I shared like your observation that especially in the first half. And, and if you're not like in a goal to go situation, you should never burn a timeout. If you're running out of the play clock, take the yeah, penalty, save the timeout. Don't be afraid now, of a five yard penalty. Now the one I brought this up when the bears had to burn a timeout inside the 10, uh, I don't know if it was that same sequence that uh, that you alluded to. So it might be a mitigating circumstance, but uh, but they still, yeah. I, I just that disregard for uh, for for the timeout is, yeah, it, it's it's bothersome. Well, on um, Sunday, I enjoyed one of Rich Gannon's few lucid moments. It might have been that play where Nagy rushes onto the field and calls timeout because he thinks Mitch is going to let the play cut expire. As he's calling timeout, Mitch is snapping the ball. And Gannon says, coaches who don't trust their quarterback freak out about the play clock. They always think they're not paying attention to the play clock. He said, we could see that Mitch was looking at the play clock, and he knew there was five seconds left. But Nagy was hurriedly calling a timeout because he didn't think Mitch was going to get the playoff. And that's very – that's a window into the fact they still don't trust Mitch to do – But here's the thing. If you're that – how you know how, how should I put this? You're you're that concerned, um, you know, that your quarterback doesn't have the judgment to or like recognize the time. Then, what's the difference if you burn one of your three precious timeouts or take a penalty? Mitch might be dumb, but he knows if he's responsible for a delay yeah. a game penalty. If it happens a lot, he's gonna like you know I got to get my shit in order. I can't keep breaking the huddle with eight seconds left. Like, and so Nagy's actually enabling him. In my view, I just came up with that theory by calling these time. Wait, he's compounding the error of wasting timeouts by even shielding by shielding his quarterback because he's like, "Well, I'm okay. We didn't get a penalty, so now tell me what to do, coach." And then Nagy barks four thousand words at him in the span of twenty six seconds. Yeah, the most Um, the most common timeout mistake is you the the other team has the ball north of the two minute warning. You're trying to get the ball back, and you're hoarding your timeouts for when you get the ball back. You should use the timeouts before the two-minute warning because once you mm-hmm. get the ball, you have some control over stopping the clock. You can throw the ball away. You can yes. run out of bounds. You you're can spike run the ball. Yep. But, if, but on defense, you have no control. You're at the mercy of that team snapping the ball. And, you know, Bill Belichick could do this shit in his sleep. But yep. one of the problems that Nagy has is he coached for Andy Reid, and Andy Reid is – also, it's horrendously his, it's his Achilles, terrible. It's his Achilles Achilles his timeouts. Yeah. It's his one. It's the one thing you can criticize Andy Reid for is the absolute horror, and he's never learned from it. Which 
you know, doesn't exactly instill confidence that Nagy will learn from it. So. But now that Nagy's yeah. not calling plays, he can spend all of his time worrying about the clock. <laughs> yeah, but, like, if he doesn't understand, like, some of these basic fundamentals of, you know, of, you know, storing the time and just knowing when to use it, then what's the point? But, I mean, I know this is kind of a niggling uh, issue. It's not, you know, ultimately, but it, it does add up. It, all the little you know, things add up in a, in a close game. Well, like I said, go like, look at Belichick. It's not like he's leagues ahead of anybody intellectually, but I think there's just so many aspects of the game that he's either thought through or just knows how to how to handle. And to this, there always been coaches. I, I mean, there are only 32 coaches in the NFL, and then so many of them are still, you know, make stupid mistakes like that. So I mean, obviously, it's a hard job. The, but the thing about Belichick, whether you like him or not, that you can't deny is that there's never a situation in the game that he hasn't already thought about. Right. He has at some point sat down and thought through whatever's going to happen. I remember he, I, think, I remember that at a Monday night game, he like baffled. I think Madden was still doing Monday night football. The, um, it was, I think it was in Denver and the, uh, Patriots lined up. They must've been up. I gotta remember what the magic number is. Um, they were deep in their own end. They were going to be punting out of the end zone. And he just had the snapper snap the ball into the stands, take the safety. Uh huh. And Madden was like, "Wait, why would he do that?" And you could literally hear Madden think his talk his way through it as he was explaining it. And he's like, "Oh yeah, and he figured it out." He goes, yeah. "That's exactly the right thing to do. That was perfect. That's that's like one of the few times when taking the safety makes it, it makes no sense not to do it." Yep. Okay. So I think it's a combination that yeah he thinks it through ahead of time. I think a lot of coaches may think maybe they not be they might not have the intellectual bandwidth to maybe think that theoretically, but really I think the difference is is that. It's the clarity with which yeah. it comes to Belichick can, in those situations. Right. Yes, in the moment he can he thinks back to oh I know I know what to do here I've already thought about if this. it's like this calm resolute sort of like clear vision that comes from being the son of a Navy admiral I don't know but like yeah he thought he thought it through but yeah you can't tell me that so many other coaches haven't like just like spent hours in their you know in their office exploring all these theoreticals but it's it's like when all the shit's going on at that time that he can just see right through all that and make that call at that time. That's, again, that's what makes him special. And then he also had, he let Doug Flutie drop kick in a game once. I love that. That's one of my favorites. Just, like just because he thought it was cool. I rewatched the uh, longest yard like a month ago and I enjoyed it. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. The original, I wouldn't watch the Adam Sandler one because I can't stand Adam Sandler. Even in the original, like in 1971, when they do the drop kick, because I remember watching that like with my dad as a kid, like, oh, that's a drop kick, you know. Um, even in the context of The Longest Yard, which is a film that is is filmed and takes place uh, in the early 70s, um, and I forget the old-timer that uh, that was, um, you know, kind of the um, uh, coast, not co-starred, but was uh, uh, in the film with Reynolds. Um, he's like, a drop kick? I haven't seen a drop kick in 30 years. And this was in 1971. <laughs> so, yes, the fact that Bill Belichick had Doug, little Doug Flutie do a drop kick like 15 years ago had to have been like probably the first drop kick in the NFL probably in 50 years. Yeah, and it's a hell of a lot harder to drop kick the current football, which is why it went out of vogue. The old football was round, basically. Rounder, yeah. So that thing, yeah. that thing took a nice true bounce. Now, once they made it super pointy so you could throw it easier, it made Pointless. it almost impossible right. to do that. Right. Not to mention the city. Yeah. You'd have to do it like Belichick did it with Flutie. I think there was like a, uh, it was kind of an end of the year gimmick. Yeah, they didn't, right. It, was it didn't matter if he missed it. They, they were close enough to the uh, goal, the uh, goalpost 
but I love it. I love that he did that. It's one of the first. It's one. I, I'm glad that you brought it up, man, because it's one of the, you know, I I'm not. I don't really care about Belichick, but I admire the hell out of him, and uh, for many reasons, obviously, all justifiable. Uh, but that's like one sort of anecdotal thing that almost always springs to mind is that he actually executed a drop kick. The other thing that I know my dad always wanted to see, and I in the in the Bear coach who did it was uh, not one you would suspect. It was Dave Wanstead. If you fair catch Whoa. a punt, yep. you then have the option yep. to take a free kick. And the Bears yep. did it, and they didn't make it. But it was the perfect time to do it. Yeah, And, and you see times in games where, like, you know, really, you they ought to fair catch this and do the free kick, and they don't even think about it. Once in a while, though, yeah, you will see that once in a while. I've seen that maybe I can count on two hands. Like, so more than five, but fewer than ten. Um when they've yeah the 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 circumstances have to be sort of ideal usually the clock's running out so giving up the field position is not an issue you got to be around midfield right but it's otherwise uh for anyone that might not know what the situation we're talking about but it's a you know a fourth down situation where the team punts the punt returner calls a fair catch but after the fair catch the team can elect to give up the ball and line up like a kickoff. Am I incorrect there? The, 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 where the, the place kicker would have a running start and, and try to kick the ball uh, from where it was fair That's a caught. Good question. I think I think you have to have a holder. Okay, but can like you still have like the long lead up like they do on kickoffs? I think you can. I think that's part of the attraction. It's, you, they, it's a free kick. They can't rush it. Uh, after a right. fair they catch, they can't rush it. They got to be at least ten yards back. I think right. After a fair catch, an NFL team has the right to take a free kick from the line of scrimmage on the next play. Um, all it does is if um, – you get three points if you make it. But they don't yep. explain what – how the process You know what? It, it should happen more often because an ideal situation <laughs> is the end of the half. Of course, there ha- – actually, no. It's got to be like less than 10 seconds in the half because if uh, if you got a guy making a fair catch with 20 seconds and you try it and it fails, well, then the other team can only need you know, only needs to pick up 15 yards to try a field goal. So it does have to be a sort well, of precise – I mean, yeah, if it's late in the game and the other team has to like punt out of their end zone. Yes. Um, but there has to be like – there has, there has to be less than 10 seconds left. There has to be only time enough for, like, the kick, basically. Or you have no confidence in your offense. And, like, fuck it. They're gonna, <laughs> Mitch is going to screw this up, and we're not going to kick a field goal. Let's just do a free kick. Yes. Um, there is no snap. <laughs> the defense must stand at least 10 yards from the line of scrimmage till the ball is like kicked. Kickoff. The kicking yep. team may not use a tee. The ball must be placed or drop kicked. That's one difference. Okay. And even if – well, here you go. Here's the perfect example. Even if time expired on the preceding play – the fair catching team may still attempt the kick. So if it, so if a team is punting to you and it's going to be the last play of the game, but then it's a no-brainer. Right. You're either unless you think your punt returner is going to return it for a touchdown. Right. The only option is to do the fair catch and the free if kick because the otherwise 50, the game's going to end. If you're at the 50 and you catch it, then that's a 60-yard kick, but but you have like all the time and space in the world. Yeah, they can't rush you and it's being they held. Can't you rush can you. back up. You could run 30 yards up and kick it if you wanted. Yes. Uh, the Doug Flutie yes. f- successful free kick or uh, drop, kick drop kick was the first time since 1941 that one had been made in the NFL. 81, 91, 01. So almost 70 years, right? When did that happen? 06, 07, 65 years? Uh, wow, 41. <laughs> that was like. 2006. Like, okay, so 65, 65 seasons. 65 years I mean, later. 
Yeah, it goes back to like Vag McCaskey doing the Charleston back in 41. I mean, wow. It's the last time it had been done. So now here's another archaic archaic rule. I don't know if it still exists, but it, you for the longest time in the NFL, the rule was if you, you know, the way it works, you give up a touchdown, the other team kicks off to you. Yep. Apparently in the rule book, maybe they've since changed it, you actually have the option. You can kick off if you want. I mean, Marty, Mar- Marty Mornenweg would have loved this. <laughs> okay, so they just you just scored against us, but you know what? Our defense, we still have more confidence in our defense you know than the offense. Yeah. We're going to kick the fucking ball right back. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe what I just saw. I want to see you do it again. <laughs> I dare you. Or, <laughs> I know you just schooled our defense, but I'm convinced they're going to run one back on you. That's incredible. So, t- so at one point in the rule, it was they not used to assumed. actually ask, just like before was, <laughs> at the beginning of the want- game and at halftime, they would go, "Do you want to kick or receive?" Right, right. They would do the same thing after a touchdown. They they throw the ball. The official is, "Are oh, you sure you want it? You want it? Yeah, yeah. You want to keep the ball or, uh, or no? It would be the other team. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're just yeah, giving the ball right back to the team that just scored. Yeah. Um, so what do you so what do you say? Why don't I, let them do it, it again? It does kind of make sense. Back in the old and when football first started. And it was just a land war of guys yep. running into each other. You may have said, you know what? Why don't we let the, let's Field kick it position. off back to them. Let's get the ball closer to the goal we yep. need to score at. We'll stop them, get the ball back, and, and go. Field position. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I could see the logic to it where it was uh, you had a lot of six to three games and, and I wonder just if, like uh, ground so, skirmishes. So do you think when Virginia watches games, every time the Bears give up a touchdown, she turns to George and goes, are we going to kick or receive? What do you think? What do you think coach is going to do? And, and he's like, George, I think we're going to George just every time. I think we're going to receive mom. <laughs> to just reassure her. <laughs> oh, what are we going to, what decision are we going to make? after this? <laughs> mom, come on. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> All so, right. <laughs> So did you say you you watched a uh, a game a Bear Packer game from the eighties? Uh yeah I I watched um well there, I mentioned and, and yeah just to sort of tie a loose end and everything uh the last time we talked about the Packers got a lot of feedback from a couple guys T J Brown of course uh, John Dooley the other both like, a couple like minded savants uh, John pointed out that I had it all wrong in that Forrest Greg grudge match. Uh, so just to clarify for the record, yes, in fact, it was um, Mark Lee was the douchebag who ran Walter Payton, not Matt Suey, over the bench yep. uh, in 85. And then uh, we we do have the guy Ken Stills, and you were right when you first said this. I corrected you, and I shouldn't have. But, yeah, he absolutely clobbered Matt Suey on the way to the hunt. So I want to kind of get that out of the way. The other one was 1983. I mentioned when the last time the Bears were playing the Packers that my parents almost got divorced because my mom uh, had the temerity to uh, feel sorry for Bart Starr because in 1983, Bart Starr had been the coach for seven years. Not that my mom was a huge coach, but she remembered Starr from the, being the quarterback of the Packers. He was a household name. Um uh, and, and, and it's true that my dad got so upset that my mom jinxed the bears into a loss, but where I was wrong was, uh, the fact that, um, that the bears were, uh, you, you know, about to put the game or the Packers are about to put the game away and, uh, you know, and somehow you know, she, or the bears were about to put the game away 
She felt bad for Star the Bears came back. But I found that game, and it's kind of an incredible game. So maybe you can link this one. The Bears lost, but it was kind of the beginning of their uh, awakening. Um, they were down like two touchdowns late, and a, a lot of crazy shit happened. And Star, and Star probably should have been fired for some of the calls that were made. One was a halfback option pass when they had a 28-14 to 14 lead in the fourth quarter inside the Bears' 30 that Leslie Frazier returned to midfield. The Bears tied the game on a Dennis McKinnon punt return. The, the Bears were dead to rights in this game, so I was completely wrong thinking that the Bears had their foot on uh, on the Packers' neck. Um, in fact, uh, they, they, they were supposed to lose. They found themselves tied, still managed to lose the game. And my dad was glaring across the room at my mom for, for, you know, having felt sorry for Bart Starr. But I like to bring that up also because uh, the Packers were headed towards the playoffs a couple weeks later and they came into Soldier Field in the last game of the season. And uh, a young up and coming team that was basically kind of foreshadowing what the next decade would be. Uh, Jim McMahon, a healthy McMahon, uh, I think led the Bears down late. And it was a freezing ass cold game in Soldier Field, and the Bears knocked the Packers out of the playoffs in 1983, and then of course began their ascension. So, but what those there's videos for the game at Soldier Field, but watch the one from Lambo. Even the Bears lost. There's some wild shit that happens in this game, um, and uh, you know, we'll, we could break it down some other time. But uh, God bless the internet and YouTube for some of the highlights that we've been privy to, and that we can kind of pull up during. Uh, uh, during these things, but the I would recommend for any Bears fan uh, the '83 uh, Bears Packers game at Lambeau, uh, just kind of a wild one. But it also kind of shows you the uh, the sort of antecedent of what would become the Bears um, Super Bowl championship. Well, did you notice who the who the person who posted that video on YouTube is? No, Brad Palmer. Oh, and that's the other thing. Remember, you and I talked about last time the uh, the, the the pass from McMahon, I think, to Fridge Perry in 85. Yeah. Um, and that I have the specific memory of Dick Butkus just losing his shit in the, in the broadcast booth for WGN Radio. But that if you search on the Internet, you only get the Tim Ryan, uh, Johnny Morris one. But you're right. That 83 game is perfectly in sync with the Joe McConnell, Brad Palmer call. And Brad Palmer. You know, we liked him. We thought he was a good analyst. This is before Wayne Larrabee came up from Kansas City and the Bears went to WGN. Um, and and he, he was pointed. like He was totally calling out Steve McMichael, young Steve McMichael, for missing a tackle on a Harlan Huckleby touchdown. Um, yeah, he, it was funny because Brad Palmer was always a voice, and he was the voice of, like, the Bears. And then he reappears on Channel 7, like, at TV, and he looks like um, – Caillou or Charlie Brown or like like that's not he's, uh, what I thought Brad Palmer looked the, like. He's Bunsen uh, Honeydew from the Muppets. That's who Brad Palmer looks like. They should have dressed Joe McConnell up like Beaker. They would have kept their jobs. It was like, oh no wonder you were on the radio. But like he ended up having a very noticeable. He was on WLS TV for the, a good. He was the professor. Years. He was the professor. He he was very analytical. He 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 seemed to know his football pretty well. So he actually it was kind of a rare, a rare situation where neither. Well, it's never never a former jack that's the play by play unless it's like Frank Gifford or you know Mark Malone or something. But it's it's very rarely not a former player that's a color guy. But that wasn't the case uh, for those broadcasts because Brad Palmer was not a former player. You can just yeah. look at him for yeah, one right. second. Hell, <laughs> so but he was a very good because I remember my I was just a kid. So what do I know? But I remember 
you know, my, my dad was pretty discerning. Like we hated Jack Brickhouse because we just, he did not like him. Uh, so he was discerning. And I remember he, he was very much a fan of Brad Palmer on the radio broadcast. He, I, so apparently he was pretty insightful. So my, like uh, pre- my great aunt lived in Skokie. Actually, her husband, my uncle, Andy, is the guy I'm named after. And nice. um, she was, t- she, we had Christmas one year. She's telling my dad, oh, she said, I was at a party and I met Jack Brickhouse. And dad's like, oh, well, what's he like? I don't know. She said, but he had a big boil on his neck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, when I see Brickhouse, I was thinking Nanty and the, oh, I don't know, but he had a big boil on his neck. Like, oh, well, that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of the encounters I heard about Brickhouse have not been so pleasant, but, you know, whatever. Kids caddying for him on a golf course. I just, I can't, I mean, I've only heard highlights of him doing cup games. I just have a feeling that, uh, had I had a blog back then, oh, you I, I would have been all over Jack and his weird, wee! It's like, I'll just, yeah, just, don't, don't, was. Do that. don't do that. And Stop. I'm, I'm going to validate that because I just know, like, my dad was a diehard Cubs fan, born in 33. Um, you know, he wasn't like obsessively anti, but he just, he didn't care for him. He just, you know, there was a shtick and he was, uh, it was, I think most fans, uh, were very much fine with Brickhouse retiring, especially after Harry Carey came over. So I, I think anyone that waxes nostalgic about Brickhouse is doing so simply for the purpose of nostalgia and not for like any real quality that he brought. I know that's kind of harsh. The guy was like in the Chicago Broadcast Hall of Fame, and he's done the job for forty years. I just know in our yeah, household, and he literally he broadcast everything from he did from he did he was Bears games pro- to yes uh, him to and, him Cubs and uh, games, you know White Sox games. He did the you know political his, conventions. Uh, co- he did everything. You know, you know who his color commentator was for Bears games? Just to bring it full circle here, since it's a Bears cast ostensibly, you know, and uh, and it was on the radio because they didn't really have much of a cohesive television package. But his color, his play by his uh, his color commentator was uh, Irv Cupsonet. Oh yes, that's right, Chicago chronicler of uh, the social life in Chicago, who also uh, was an official in the 1940 NFL championship game, which the Bears won 73 to nothing over the Redskins. Sorry, the Washington football team. Yeah, it's uh, so uh, I was looking. I told the story the last time we did the Packer thing about I watched an NFL films thing. Um, Paul Horning's telling a story about the Bears are in Green Bay to play the Packers, and uh, Lombardi's getting ready to give the big speech, and they hear this banging on the door. Uh huh. And they and uh, equipment guy opens the door, and it's George Hallis, and he's like, "I I need to I'd like to talk to Coach Lombardi," and they're like, um. Oh, he's, uh, is it, is, is it, uh, is it urgent? Yes. I need to talk to him. Okay. So, uh, he comes over and he's like, uh, Hey Vince, uh, I just wanted to make sure that your uh, team is ready. Cause we're going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I looked for that story and I found it. And so it's actually that this will be the second time people heard it. Cause I'm going to put it at the very beginning of the podcast. Well, and you mentioned this, by the way, I think you mentioned the last time, but in a different form because you hadn't researched it, but you did reference that, uh, the last time the bears yeah. played the Packers. Well, I remember that story and I, I was Paul Horning and I told it the same way. So, um, nice. what I found it, I found it in, in two different places and Hornig told the story twice and he tells it basically the same both times, which is nice. But in the ESPN, remember they did the sports century thing in 1999. And one of the people uh-huh. they profiled was George Hallis. And it's really interesting sure. to watch it because of the people that they got, uh, interviews with to talk about Hallis. And of course uh-huh. you get, you get cup and you get, oh. and you get brick house, um, uh-huh. uh, Doug Atkins, Butkus, um, oh wow! I have to look this the, up. I'll I'll put I'll put it on the thing. It's it's good. It's, really, it's, only, it's like it's only like eight minutes long, but um, uh huh. But yeah. still, they they cram it full of a lot of those. John Julian, 
Is that his little voice? He's talking John like Shulian was. My, I remember my dad saying John Shulian was a fantastic sports writer before Bob Verdi was the guy in Chicago. Yeah. He was like, whatever happened to him? So well, yeah. I remember that. So when they did the Walter Payton one, people were pissed because a lot of the a lot of the talking head stuff they used was from Shulian, and he did not have nice things to say about Walter. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and no. I th- I honestly think ESPN re-edited the Walter Payton one and aired it again with less of that. Okay. Um, yeah, and he doesn't say <laughs> the thing he says about uh, Hallis isn't nice either. Okay. <laughs> so apparently, John Shulian had a chip on his shoulder. He had some access to grind. Uh, but yeah, he has a very high voice, which is funny. But uh, yeah, you can tell he knows. You know, he, he you tell he, you can tell he knows stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to, to hear say that. It. Well, I'm surprised to hear that because my dad would not use the cotton to writers that were haters. I just remember he commented once like 40, 30 years ago when I was talking about Bob Verdi, like John Shuler, like, whatever happened to that guy? He was a really right. good writer. Well, it doesn't mean he wrote the stuff. You know, he may have, you know, his writing may have been one style and his, after his career, he was like, he asked some, about, if he asked, what was this guy really like? Apparently, right, like John, I'm going to be, apparently I'm going John to be will the, tell you. Right. I'm going to be the really contrarian like asshole that actually says, uh-uh, Walter Payton wasn't that great. All right, good luck to you, buddy. No, it's not that he wasn't great. He, I mean, and, and so the Jeff Perlman book went into some of it, and people got pissed, well, too. Well, yeah. Walter, that was, was yeah. A, the media, Walter was a pain in the ass to the media, and they, I'm sure they asked him the question, and he answered it, and ESPN used it, and then people got mad. Because yeah. most of these things were real flowery about how wonderful the person was, and while look at the, and the Peyton one had all the great highlights and stuff, but it, it also right. had a bunch of point and stuff about ah, you know he was you know he was moody and he was an ass and uh, I'm gonna look that up. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. We we really don't know what format next week's will take. No, because it could no. very well be you know the getting ready for a bear playoff. Game. Yeah, and then we can go through yeah. great bear playoff games in history, and that'll be a real short uh, podcast. But uh, Th- thank God we go off on tangents, because otherwise we wouldn't have much to fill in that hour. Yeah, we could we could fill it with just. Uh, I hope they play Seattle again, because they got two fascinating wins over the Seahawks in well recent years. They've and also that- never lost to the Saints. Of course, I don't think they could draw. They could draw. They could draw the Saints, right? Yes, they, they could get... draw any of those three. Right. They they actually have a career four and one playoff record against those three. So you know, even the Packers, they're they're not less than five hundred. No, they're one on one. Beat, I don't really want to try to. I don't want to try to to break the tie this year. No, I'd like a better. I'd like a better Bear team to to play. The well, Packers in order for that to happen, then then you then you need uh, then you need uh, Seattle to lose, right? Do I have that right? No. In order for the Bears to play the Packers in the playoffs, the Bears have to win Sunday, and then Seattle has to win. Right. That gives so you Seattle, need Seattle, makes to Seattle lose. the one seed. So you need makes, Seattle to lose, so you, you might don't need have the, to face the Packers You might again. need the Saints if you want the Packers in week. Um, I, you don't want the Packers, especially if no, you've saying, already you were asking how you would how you would get that, and the only way you get it is. No, I was asking how you avoid. Right, I was really asking how you avoid playing the Packers the second time. If you beat them, you need Seattle to yes, lose, right? Lose, right? And yeah. then you, yeah, probably. Well, then you'd face the Saints. But hey, let's worry about that well, they can't uh, on beat Sunday. They're gonna play. Well, maybe Seattle. They maybe they'll beat Seattle. That's who they want. You want the Seahawks? Yeah, they're not gonna be Breeze in the dome. Barring a miracle, you never know. It's sports. That's why we watch, right? That's right. 
I mean, who thought that the Dave Wanstead Bears were going to go beat the Vikings in the last road playoff win in Bears? And the Bears have never won a playoff game since. They're going to have to do it this year. Indeed. Hopefully. Yes, hopefully. I mean, shit. He already won eight games. You might as well win nine. Well, no. What have he won? Yeah, he already won eight games. You might as well win nine. Give him credit. Where's a little trivia. Do you know how many times the Bears were... Vegas had the Bears as favorites this year? Uh, five? Three. Oh, my God. Home against <laughs> home against the Giants, home against the Lions, and at Jacksonville. That was it. Wow. The so Bears are, one. though. The Bears are eight and seven against the spread. Okay, well, so uh, Brent's boys in the deserts are... You know, yeah, pretty, yeah, they had a pretty good. They had a pretty good handle on the Bears, even when, um, when they were winning early in the season. They were like the Vegas was not buying it, and they of course were right. Yeah, as they usually are. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll catch up next week and see what the hell we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down with whatever, even if there's no game. We'll talk about something, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Well, go Bears. Talk. Talk. Go Bears. Talk to you next year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Many of us have herpes.